Hey guys, welcome back. Turn to somebody real quick, give them a high five, tell them you're glad they're here. I didn't know what you were going to do. No. Oh. Sweet. Hey, friends, welcome back or welcome for the first time. Those of you that are just joining us for the first time, glad that you guys are here. Uh, at the Well Downtown, This uh, having our lives built on Christ is really what we're all about. So when we gather every week, what we do is we try to say... How, what does God's word have to say about building our life on the foundation of Christ, and then how do we live that out together? So our, our rhythm of life is we gather for worship, and we hear God's word together, and then in our life groups, we work out with others. How do we put this into practice, and not just say it, but have other people that hold us accountable to that? So that's kind of the rhythm of things here. So if you're looking uh, to really start this year by anchoring your life in Christ and want some people to do that with, you're, you're in a great place, so we're glad that you're here. Wondering, though, uh, as we start thinking about this tonight together, is there anyone here that still has a New Year's resolution for 2019 that's actually still intact? Anybody? Good job! Anybody actually willing to commit to telling us what that is? Right here. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, what's your name, man? Huh? Marcus? Oh, you can stand up, dude. Stand up, Marcus. Marcus, Scott, man. What's, yeah. I'm really embarrassing, Marcus. This is probably your first time, and you're never going to come back. No. Uh, Kidding. Back, awesome. <laughs> what, what's your resolution? Uh, we'll see uh, more plant-based foods. More plant-based foods. Yes. And so far, so good? So far, so good. Awesome, man. Good job. Good job. Yeah, come on. Good job, dude. Anybody else willing to commit to everybody else what you're doing? Go ahead. Yeah. Working out three times a week, at least. And we're two weeks in, and you've worked out three times a week, so that's six total? Yep. Great job. Awesome. Anybody else willing to commit out loud to others? Nope. That's okay. No, I'll tell you guys because I need accountability. My doctor told me this year that I need to lose 25 pounds. I was like, I mean, it's getting a little soft, but come on, brother. 20, I've worked hard for this. But, you know, I'm coming up on 40 this year, and he's like, you need to lose 25 pounds, Scott, if you want to be in that, in that target zone of health as you get, as you get older. I'm like, bye-bye, pizza. I ate a slice tonight. I need accountability. See, I need to confess your sins, and the Lord is gracious and kind. He will forgive you, but the weight, anyway, keep me accountable. I need the help. Uh, I was wondering if anybody actually who was under, like, 25 years old still did New Year's resolutions. I don't hear people talk about them nearly as much anymore. So I asked some folks this week, and they immediately went to Twitter um, to help prove this to me. And there's a few of those that popped that they showed me that I just had to show you, share with you tonight. Right? New Year's hashtag New Year's resolutions. You can look these up yourselves. Some of them are not as appropriate, so I'm not going to read those out. Um, here's one though that some of you could relate to. Right? Increase my relationship status from forever alone to slightly desperate. Here's another one. This is actually really good advice for life. Never again will I take sleeping pills and laxatives on the same night. That's a good word. We're learning real life here, people. Uh, here's another one I bet some of you will relate to. Oops, forgot to work out yesterday and today. Looks like my New Year's resolution will have to wait till next year. Yeah, that one feels a little bit uncomfortable. And this, I, I think this might be my favorite one. 
Just burned 2,000 calories. It's the last time I leave brownies in the oven while I nap. I felt a lot of that one. Oh, yes, yeah, it took a second. I love New Year's resolutions. I love hearing people's New Year's resolutions because I think what they do a lot of times is they bring to the surface for us something that's deep inside of us, right? That there's a longing in us for a better version of ourselves, right? There's just, every, I hear people saying this all the time. It makes my skin crawl. It's, I'm not judging anybody here. It just makes me feel awkward. It's about me. Living your best life, wow, just makes me feel weird every time for some reason. But, but it's something we all long for, right? There's a better version of us that we, that we want to. We come to the new year and we're like, this year I'm going to be that better version that I wanted to be last year but didn't quite get to. And I, I want to say that I think um, all of us at, at a deep level know and believe that God made us for more than watching Netflix, eating tacos, and paying bills, right? How do we get to that person? Every New Year's resolution is getting after that at some level. How do we become this person that I long to be? And that's the question on the mind of a man we're going to meet tonight in our story in Scripture. Uh, this winter, we're going to continue through the Gospel of Mark, the journey we started last semester. We were with Jesus in Galilee, that's the, the northern part of, uh, of Palest, what, what we call today Palestine or Israel. It was not necessarily all together back then um, in the same way. And so um, Jesus was in the, nor- in the northern part as we spent last semester. It was his home base, his home territory, a lot of time in Capernaum and all around the lake. This semester, Jesus makes a pivot and he turns toward Jerusalem. And actually, next week, Ben is going to come. And Ben spent a few years living and studying in Israel. And he's going to come and share a bit about that pivot and why Jesus makes that turn. And uh, what we can learn from the turn that Jesus makes from his home base where everything works. And everything's going exactly the way you could hope for it to go. And he makes this pivot to Jerusalem. And things start to go south, at least as far as from our vantage point. right? From successful ministry vantage point. Um, so Ben's going to talk a little bit about that next week, but tonight we're going to pick up a, the story with an encounter Jesus has with a man while he's on his way, as he's starting to make that move toward Jerusalem. And uh, so if you want to turn with us in your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 17, and if you need a Bible, we have friends in the back that will bring it out for you. Does anybody, actually, does anybody need a hard copy? Nope. Looks like we're good, Jody. Thanks. Um, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17, we're going to look at a man who seeks out Jesus for the same reason that we come to kind of come to New Year's resolutions that way. He believes that there's something more. He doesn't know how to get there. Mark 17, or excuse me, Mark 10, starting at verse 17. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, right? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have done since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him loved him 
one thing you lack, Jesus said. Go, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around. He said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at those words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were shocked. And they said to each other, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of our Lord. Wow, right? I mean, dang. That wasn't the answer he was looking for. If you spend significant time in the church, if you've grown up in church or youth group, you've probably heard this story before at some level and in some way. Uh, and when stories are familiar, we don't hear them as carefully as we, we might otherwise if we were hearing them for the first time. So a practice that I have in my own life in order to try to kind of disentangle what my presumptions from what's actually in front of me is to do the simple elementary school practice of uh, good reading when I read scripture. Uh, so when I read, I will frequently, you can look at my notes. I have like, I, I have all of these, the text, multiple versions of the Bible open. And on, alongside of that, who, <laughs> what, when, where, why, and how because it just helps me slow down and be attentive to what's actually in front of me and not what I have heard before or what I assume might be there. And so just to help us do this, uh, I'll just, we're just going to follow that sequence, right? We just look at who and when this is happening. I mentioned Jesus pivots. He's making the move toward Jerusalem, right? This is when it's happening. It's happening where it's on the way. But who is this guy? Like, the text begs for us to try to answer that question, who is this guy that just runs up to Jesus with this question? You know what Mark tells us? Not a whole lot. But what he does tell us is that this is a really good dude. Right? Sometimes he gets painted as like some righteous or he's trying to justify himself. But everything that Mark tells us about him leads us to believe that he's religiously devout and financially successful. Sisters, come on. This is who you're looking for. He's religiously devout and he's financially successful. 
Does he have a pulse? Right? This is a good guy. Highly dateable. He ran to Jesus. He fell on his knees before him. Uh, before Christ, only those who are truly seeking Jesus, we read in the Gospel of Mark, are those who come and fall on their knees before Jesus. He comes and humbles himself before Christ, and we learn a little bit later in the story, he is diligently following God's commands. That's a good dude. But something's missing. He comes to Jesus with this question that's really at the heart of it for him, and I think it's at the heart of it for us who know that God has made us for something. This question of what must I do to have eternal life? I'm not going to run down the rabbit hole of eternal life. We've talked about that before, so I'm going to leave it be about for what it is except to just remind us of what we have talked about. Just a simple definition. Eternal life in the kingdom of God, Jesus uses these interchangeably all the time. He actually talks about this later on in the story. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. What does that have to do with eternal life? They're the same thing. He's using them synonymously, right? So the kingdom of God is the place where God is king. It is the place where the abundant, God-saturated life of the love, righteousness, and power of God center everything and give order to everything. That is eternal life. That's what he would have meant when he said it. And that's what it means for us who are trying to understand it. Right? It's this God-saturated life where the love, righteousness of God is at the center of everything. What must I do, the guy asks, to have that? And before we, you know, drive ahead down the road, it's worth asking. You ever ask that question? You ever ask God, what do I have to do? You go to church, you don't get into trouble-ish, right? You get good grades, you do, the, you do the work you're supposed to do, you help out where you can, and yet there's this nagging sense there's more. There's more that God has for me. There's more that God's calling me to. There's a hunger for more of what God has. You know it's there. This man comes to Jesus. He's done all the right things. By all levels, he is successful and upstanding. He's the kind of guy you want your kids to be like. Right? He's a good guy by all levels, and yet he comes, he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he says, what must I do to have this life that I know is there from God? You ask that question? Hungry for that? For those of us that are like this man, just hungry for that, wanting it, God, I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to follow the right way. How do I have it? Jesus' answer to him is troubling. Right? What must I do? And I want Jesus to say, dude, relax. It's going to be okay. I got this. Hmm. That's not what he says, though. Jesus looked at him and loved him, verse 21 says. One thing. There's one thing. Go sell everything you have, get the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. 
Josh, you stand up for a second. Josh, buddy, I love you. There's one thing. <laughs> right? That's what it feels like, doesn't it? This one thing. Man, it's this gut punch. Oh! Good job. He's actually got good abs, incidentally. Just, he's a good. Much, much more firm than mine. Good job, Josh. As I've heard so many sermons on this message, I've read so many different authors on this, and I find that frequently folks try to soften the blow of what Jesus says here. Try to make it seem just a little less direct, a little less absolute. But if I put on the, the glasses of just simple reading, and you just read the story, then I, I can't help but come to the conclusion that when Jesus says to this man, sell everything, give the money to the poor, come follow me, that he doesn't mean anything except sell everything, give the money to the poor, come follow me. And that the call of Jesus is truly that outrageous. There just seems to be no other way to read the text faithfully for what it actually says than Jesus' very stark diagnosis to this man of the issue, one thing you're lacking, what you're longing for, this thing that is just nagging in your life, this longing that you have that God has something more for you, the answer is yes, he does, but here's what it's going to cost. Sell it, give it, and come follow me. That there's this door that you have that is just closed to God. Just shut up and you're not willing to let him in. And Jesus says to this man, without any qualifications around it, anything to nuance it, if you want that God-saturated life that you're longing for, the only way is to open up that door. Mark tells us, tragically, that this man's face fell. That's such a great image, isn't it? Can you imagine the, the, the interaction? Like his hope had to go up when Jesus says, you keep the commandments, don't you? And he starts rattling them off, and the guy interrupts him, right? You know, honor your father and mother, don't steal. You know, Jesus tells him, you know what the commandments are, don't you? Yes, I've done them all since I was a youth. Smiling? Nodding, right? I got this, right? There's just this one thing. Oh, it's this beautiful, terrible image of the man's face falling. And the guy who ran to Jesus longing for this answer, sadly, walks away. And in such a brilliant way in this story, the reason Mark puts it right in this spot between Galilee and Jerusalem is Mark then turns the camera from the picture of this interaction with Jesus and, and the man and he turns it out, pans out and he's looking at us. He's looking at you. And he's asking you the same question because this is our story. It's happening today. Jesus sees you. He sees your heart. And he sees your longing for that abundant, God-saturated life. He put that longing into you before you were born. He sees you, and the text says he loves you. And because he loves you, 
He says the same thing. There's one thing. One thing standing between you and this life that you know God's calling you to. Lay down. Take up. And follow. For the man in our story, that meant for, from Jesus that he had to lay down his wealth. He had to take up generosity. And he had to follow Jesus. But actually, this pattern shows itself all the time in Scripture. Every time God calls someone, this is the, the, the sequence of events. It's the prescription that works and happens every single time. For Peter, Jesus says, lay down your business, take up full-time ministry, follow me. For Matthew, he says, lay down your very lucrative position with the Rome's version of IRS, take up full-time ministry, follow me. For Joseph, it means laying down his pride, taking up raising a son that's not his own, and following God's instruction. For Priscilla and Aquila, later on in Scripture, it meant laying down a very stable income and moving their family business to a different community so they could take up the work of sharing the profits of their business for the church plant that Paul was leading. It just keeps happening over and over and over again in Scripture, the same rhythm of things, people that God calls. And there's something, something that they, they're just unwilling to give up. And God confronts them with it and says, you have to lay that down. You have to take this up, and you have to follow me. Over and over and over again, it happens in Scripture. The specifics change from person to person, right? I'm not telling you that God is saying to you specifically, go sell everything you have, right? Whatever's in the back of your car, right? Take up something else and give it all to the poor and then go and follow Jesus. I, I do believe that God is saying to you tonight, There's something you need to lay down that's in the way of this full God-saturated life that I have for you. And there's something I'm going to call you to take up in its place. Come follow me. I'll tell you what it looked like in my own life. Uh, a long time ago, 2001, some of y'all weren't born yet, I bet. How many of you all have been born since, were born before 2001? Hey, that's great. That's totally different than Allendale. That's really helpful for me to know. Oh, I feel way better. Um, I'm not quite as old as I think. Yes. Anyway, a long time ago, in a faraway land called Central Michigan University, there was a young man who loved God. This guy. Committed to Jesus. Interned with campus ministry Interned with a very uh, uh, profitable Fortune 100 company, had a job promised to me after graduation. I was finishing up my classes, planning a wedding, poor kid from Pontiac, first one in my family to go to college, and I was making it. But it was in a season where I was like this man, and I was wondering, and had this nagging sense, God, is there more that you're calling me to? Is there something else that you are leading me toward. And my pastor confronted my ambition and said, Scott, I think God may be calling you to full-time ministry. Would you be willing to spend a year working here to discern that with me? But I already have a job. (laughs) 
I had to lay down that offer. Could you wait a year? I'm going to kind of do this gap year thing. We'll see, maybe. Incidentally, no. <laughs> lay it down. To take up this different vocation that felt very out of my own skin and follow Jesus. And I didn't know then that this was going to become my vocation. I just know I was relinquishing a very promising career move in order to do what I thought God was calling me to do. I didn't know then that, that I'd end up kind of doing this for my career. Praise God. <laughs> he has things figured out. So I can say that to you now, but I remember sitting where you are and wondering about those questions. Those questions keep coming up in life, incidentally. This won't be the last time. Will you trust him now, though? Will you lay down what he's calling you to lay down? Take up what he's calling you to take up and follow where he's leading? What Jesus promises, and this is what the, the, how the text finishes, the story finishes. What he promises is that if we will let go of the things that we're holding back, and we will take up the things he's calling us to, and we will follow him wherever he's going, you will receive back whatever you gave up with 100% interest. Isn't that what he says? A hundred times more than anything you gave up, you will receive back. That's how the story concludes. It sounds interestingly like this parable he told a few chapters back. Do we believe that? Are we going to actually trust that what Jesus says here is genuine? And not just does he believe it, but that he can do it. Now, that's a challenging word to, to start the semester, but, you know, it's New Year's time, right? It's time for challenging things. So what we want to do tonight, friends, is uh, we want to just give some space um, before we begin to worship again. We're just going to take some time in the silence the band's going to come up. They're going to play over that time so we can uh, uh, just have some space to listen and to ask God that question. As we enter into this new season together, let's bow before Jesus. And let's ask him, what must I do? Jesus, what are you calling me to? It may be that in that space, Jesus says to you, you know, I, want you, I don't want you to take that job. I want you to do this instead. You know, I don't think this relationship is good for you. I want you to break it up. Don't discount that word just because it seems just too big. Don't, don't let your face fall and walk away sad from it. Lean in. Because the promise of Jesus, the one who looks at you, who can see you, who knows your story, who knows what you're longing for, loves you. He loves you. And if he gives you this word of laying it down, it's only because he knows that when you take up what he calls you to take up, it is going to completely change your life. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we 
like the man in this story, kneel before you. And we pray, what must we do so that we can fully embrace this God-saturated life where your love, righteousness, and power sit at the center of who we are and what we do. We long for it because you've put that in our hearts. And so we pray, Jesus, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Is there something you're calling us to lay down? Is there something you're calling us to take up so that we can follow you more fully and more completely than we ever have before? Awaken us, Jesus, and speak to us now, we pray. to the next uh, part of worship and I invite you guys if we need to continue to reflect you can do that this is a safe space to do that this is um, a good space to do that but we're going to sing together um, so when you feel ready I invite you to stand up and sing with us